Coming up on Tech News Today, Microsoft takes on Google+. Maybe Canadian ISP violates net neutrality and the TSA must halt, must not halt, body scans. All that and more coming up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Friday, July 15th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TNT7. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Ayaz Akhtar. And I'm Jason Howell. And joining us is Ina Freed from All Things D. Welcome back, Ina. Howdy. Good to have you along. You are no longer mobilized. You've 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 normalized all of the. I'm normalized. Uh, I'm stationary. Yeah, I'm still covering mobile for all things D, but we're just one big happy all things D family. I like the uh, I like the new redesign and I like the new way. I, I kind of miss the brand names, but uh, it's looking clean, looking good. Cool. And uh, Sarah Lane off on vacation today at uh, taking a little early weekend. So let's get right into the news. Microsoft apparently trying out a new internal design project or maybe a social network uh fusible was investigating microsoft's purchase of the domain name socal s-o-c-l.com and found a site called tulalip uh it seemed to be some kind of uh, social network it said quote find what you need and share what you know easier than ever uh and all in the the familiar now microsoft metro style that we've seen on windows phone 7 and on windows 8 uh all, uh, search engine land did some uh, more research found a facebook and twitter integration they're calling it a hybrid search social network service uh the, microsoft has actually surprisingly re commented on this and said this is just an internal design project it was not supposed to be published to the web uh we didn't mean to honest uh the company has some other research projects like spindex that identify trends in your feeds but uh this is this is looking like it's a little more than that i mean it seems unusual that microsoft would go into a social network space right now considering how how much they're they work with facebook i mean they, they've invested heavily in their uh bing can search facebook results and facebook obviously isn't on google and uh Considering, considering Google just launched their social network, everyone's thinking, oh yeah, Microsoft doing this does make some sense, but I don't see it uh, just working with their partnership with Facebook at all. Yeah, I mean, this is really the challenge for Microsoft is they've got to either go big in social networking or try and be Facebook's best friend. And I think they're going to have to be careful. Now, Microsoft has had a variety of things on the sidelines of social networking for a while. They tried to make Windows Live a social network for a while. That didn't work out so hot. And they have had the folks that you mentioned that do Spindex, this Fuse Labs that Lily Chang leads, um, this research project that looks at social media. So my guess is it's probably something in that area. Um, certainly they are going to want to merge social and search as much as they can. But as you say, I think they're much better off to leverage their partnership with Facebook at this point 
unless they've got something that they really think can take on those, um, you know, they're better off being a better partner to Facebook than Google as opposed to doing something small on their own. Yeah, I don't think Microsoft ditches their new best friend right now uh, to go head-to-head with some kind of social network. It does make sense to continue to integrate social networks into Microsoft products. So some sort of search, some sort of Twitter app, some sort of trend finder makes sense to me. Uh, and, and I think uh, Mary Jo Foley suspects it could be a Twitter app. That seems like the best possibility to me is that this is some sort of Bing Twitter combo that allows them to take advantage of the fire hose as long as they renew that deal, which is up, by the way. Uh, Bing, or I'm sorry, Google and, and Twitter couldn't reach an agreement on, on that fire hose of data that goes into the search engine, but Bing still has it right now. So I can see them taking advantage of that in other ways to say, let's, let's surface some interesting ways to find out what's going on with your friends, find out what's trending on the internet, and, and, and play in that arena to promote Bing and maybe use Facebook data as well. Who yeah, knows? but on top of that, I mean, does Xbox Live count as a social network, if you would think about it? Because they actually have a pretty good network already over there. Now, Windows Live didn't work so well, but if, they, if they're if they unifying everything on that single ecosystem, that's been the talk all this week, could they be doing something where they're like, you know, we have to bring our Xbox Live network over to the computer, to, the, like, to a desktop, bring it over to the phone, because they were integrating that anyway. So to use that and leverage the Twitter Firehose and their partnership with F- Facebook to have this one one destination it it could exist i would think i mean do you think they that they are already in that social networking with xbox live or not why i think it's more an instant message network uh like uh, windows live is you know i think xbox live you know to some degree is a social network but it's a specific connection that people are making when they're gaming and i think microsoft wants to leverage that but uh, I think if they're counting on that as the asset to take on Facebook and Google+, that would be an over uh, overreaching effort uh, by a large measure. Now, a company that has named things Kin and Zune certainly could name something Tulalip or Tulalip <laughs> or Tualip or whatever, however you pronounce uh, this that thing. Is, that is an area. Uh, I believe it's a, a native. American uh, tribe. The yeah. folks at the native tribes that have lived in Washington, I think. Uh, oh, so there's an actual a region. Way to... I think it's a code name. All it's right. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And it's, and it's pronounced Tualip? Uh, that I couldn't tell you. I think so. There's a casino that I always see ads for when I'm visiting Microsoft uh, in Tulalip. Thank goodness. I'm very, pleased. I'm very pleased to hear that because otherwise mm-hmm. I just... Or it's an little. operating system. They used to have they, Windows 95 with Chicago, right? I was afraid they couldn't was spell. Chicago? All right. Uh, well, well, good. All right. So that that makes sense. It goes with the uh, it goes with the the code names being uh, named cities. In, in cities, areas, tribes, mm-hmm. things like that. that. That's perfect. On to uh, it's a Microsofty day today, folks. Just letting you know ahead of time. Hotmail is banning common passwords to beef up security. So when you sign up for a new Hotmail account, you will not be able to use common passwords like one two three four five or pass. Word. Uh, they're also banning common phrases, things like "I love cats." I didn't Sorry, know Ina. So well, no, I had one, two, three, four, five. Uh, that's my password from my luggage for all you baseball fans. <laughs> and, and, and you were going to make "I love cats." You're going to change it to be more secure and use "I love," but you can't use that either. No common phrases. I love one, two, three, four, five. That's a good one, uh, especially if if you write it in leet. The other thing is, like, if they're banning common passwords, are they looking at your password and they go, 
Well, 80 of you have it, so it's common. Well, no, there's been tons of studies right. of passwords, especially after the leak of the Sony passwords. Right, so I'm just wondering, so though, like, wh- wh- when is the line? Like, are they waiting for the next leak? Well, yeah, it's, they... a, it's a fair question to wonder where what their data source is, but there's tons of data sources they could choose from. I, I don't know if they're using leaks or not. There's been lots of studies about this sort of thing over the years. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what their, uh, what their data set is for determining what is a common password or phrase, but it's a good idea, don't you think? Yeah, I, I really like the idea. Uh, go ahead, Ina. Oh, I mean, we've been hearing about, quote, the end of passwords forever. And since they haven't gone away, it'd be nice if they did, um, you know, making sure that they're strong. I mean, there is this challenge, though, that if you make it too difficult for the person to remember, then they do other security breaching things like email it to themselves, write it down. So it is a fine line. Right. Um, it's it only- really needs to be a better option than passwords because we can only remember so many. Um, you know, I find myself anytime a site requires me to capitalize something and put a number and do all this stuff. By by that point, I'm just constantly spending time on the password reset tool. Well, and, so, and, and the good good password uh, protocol is to have a special character, at least one or two, at least one capital. Uh, and I have found in trying to do that over the years, you run into tons of sites that don't allow special mm-hmm. characters that are not case sensitive. That right. ha- oh, we only allow six characters in the password. They or make you it have to have nine. Yeah, yeah. Totally. they make it impossible for you to actual actually make secure passwords sometimes. So I'm good to I'm glad to see this going in the right direction. Microsoft said they may. Accept Extend the ban to existing accounts in the future, uh, which would force some users to actually change their currently insecure passwords. They also added the My Friends Been Hacked button so that if you get email from someone and it's obviously a hack, maybe it's that, you know, I'm stuck in a foreign country and need money, or it's just, you know, it's a Viagra ad and it's like, wait, this came from IAS? IAS never sends me these, usually. Uh, you can press the button that says My Friends Been Hacked. If they're a Hotmail user, Microsoft will then check this against some other factors to determine if the account truly has been hacked. And if they determine that it has, the account will be locked so that the spammer can't use it anymore, and the account holder will go through the account recovery process. I mean, these are some nice moves from Microsoft's Hotmail, but do you think this is going to get more people to use it because they know that they're being forced to have a secure password, or they have this option of knowing their friends have been, or like being able to report easily, my friend's been hacked? I mean, is this going to get people over, or is this just to protect who is already there? I think this is much more about protecting the people that are there. I mean, you know, it's a nice feature. Uh, you know, I think Gmail has added an account recovery option that they didn't have before. I think Microsoft had one, but it, you know, it, it didn't integrate with like this thing where you can say my friend's been hacked. I mean, I think this is a great idea and a no brainer for folks that are running these services. Email is really important to us. And, you know, if we're using one, two, three, four, five as our password, we're going to need a way to recover it when uh, inevitably it gets hacked. I, I did want to say, though, that I am in London and I do need money. So uh, that wasn't a spam, Tom. Please do send me money. You've been sending me that for years, Ina. She's been stuck for years. <laughs> I thought you were at home with your cats. Uh, you know, CR points out this could really annoy your friends. Well, yeah. If I mean, you just, but uh, that's why Microsoft says, look, we have an algorithm. We don't look. We don't just take a single report about an account as the only determined. Nation. So we we look button. at a few other things. It it does weigh heavily in the algorithm, but it's not the only way. So hopefully it won't be as easy as just you know going around randomly saying, "Hey, my friend's been hacked. Reset their passwords." And all then the you time. can send them another one. The new button. My friend's a jerk. Don't disregard this, please. Now, what about how it's it's incredibly easy to spoof an email address, though? 
So couldn't I spoof I as as address, send it to Ina's hotmail, and then she's like, oh, it looks like I as has been hacked. And, 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 well, if you're going out of your way to be a jerk, I don't think that Microsoft's trying to stop that, right? I mean, that's just a whole other issue. This is, it seems like it's low-level stuff that's going to help a lot of people out there, the general user base, but it's not going to stop everybody from doing like these, some you know, ridiculous harassing behaviors. As long as it doesn't increase the harassment, that's all I'm looking at. Fair enough. Shaw is an ISP in Canada, and they are either very bold or very dumb, according to Canadian tech journalist Peter Nowak. On the heels of the net neutrality debates, the usage-based billing debates, Shaw has announced that its upcoming online video service, Movie Club, will be exempt from its own data caps. The Movie Club costs $12 a month extra and gives access to movies on TV, computers, and smartphones whereas Netflix will run into the cap. And Netflix in Canada has had to adjust how it streams to help people not exceed the lower data caps that they have on a lot of services there. Peter Bisonet told the Calgary Herald on Thursday, there should be some advantage to you being a customer, right? We're, gonna now, we're not going to count these movies against your data cap. Again, this is exactly what uh, Canadians sound what like, sound. Uh, unless he, maybe it's a, a Bronx import. But this just goes to that whole argument of, okay, if there's limited bandwidth, if you're going to claim this as an argument, this doesn't work at all. Say, oh, yeah, this is free. How is this possible? Like, I mean, how are people not going to get completely ticked off with Shaw for doing this? Or is this just a side benefit, as they're trying to put it? I mean, is, is there any benefit to being a Shaw consumer or, no, or even knowing that they're doing this? Does this make you want to not use them? I mean, this is really the highlights of the pro and con net neutrality thing right here. You know, should the person that you're paying be able to prioritize certain types of services? Um, you know, and it's an interesting point, and there's interesting arguments on both sides. I mean, as a consumer, I would like an on-demand video service on my, let's say, mobile device. Now, uh, Certainly, I feel like if I'm paying for a data cap, I should be able to use those bits however I want. But, you know, there might be some benefit to getting that video um, and having being able to subscribe to a service that doesn't count against that limit. It, it is a really interesting debate. Um, you know, I was talking to the CEO of France Telecom a couple uh, months ago, and he was really talking about, you know, feeling like they really need to be able to charge, either have a service where they're being compensated or be able to charge for these services that are eating up a lot. Now, on the other hand, you know, we don't, the power company doesn't say you can only use, you know, you get free power if you're using Edison's uh, lights, uh, but if not, we're going to charge you extra. So it's a tough one. Yeah, if you rent your toaster from PG&E, they don't, uh, they don't give you a count. break on your electricity. Now, uh, a Canadian in the chat room, I don't mean just a Canadian, his username's Canadian, uh, points out that Shaw does have unlimited broadband. You can buy a one megabit per second uh, account for $60 a month. That's a lot for a slow account, but it's unlimited. You don't have a data cap. Uh, or unlimited 100, you get 100 megabits per second and no cap for $119 a month. So you can say, look, I, I want to have Netflix. I'm going to go up to a higher tier. But those higher tiers are quite a bit more expensive than the limited tiers. Um, and so it brings you back to the question of, is it fair, is it right uh, for Shaw 
to say we have, you know, telling the CRTC and the usage-based billing uh, debates that have just wrapped up, we, you know, we've got to we've got to charge for this stuff. There's only so much bandwidth, and we're gonna, we got to avoid congestion, and we need to roll out new equipment. Uh, and so, you know, we we really need to save these bits in this this bucket of bits, and 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 so we have to charge for for a certain amount of uh, of bandwidth, and at the same time go, oh, but if it's a movie coming streaming, then that that's, that's not a problem. Not to add more complication to this, but you know, if you look at something like the Uverse service that AT&T offers, it's a replacement for cable or satellite. I mean, technically, that's coming over an internet line. I'm not sure how they do it in regards to net neutrality, but I mean, those obviously you're paying a separate fee. It's not part of your internet bill. It's you know, it's a flat fee. It's it's a television service, but it's actually coming over IP. So I mean, it's a really complicated. Thing, uh, you know, I've I've hear people passionate on both sides of this, but it's it's really complicated in terms of as all these things are ones and zeros delivered over the same connection. Uh, you know, how does it get charged? Can people prioritize? I don't know. What do you guys hear the most from readers? We got an email of some some guy uh, Neil in Ottawa said, you know, unfortunately, Shaw is not a national pr- provider with a footprint in all large metropolitan areas. If I want to subscribe to this service, I would be dipping into my Rogers bucket. I wish that I could access this magic fountain of unlimited streaming. It's an interesting point, though. Like, I mean, it could get new people over going, hey, look, I don't have to worry about this data cap issue if I go to Shaw because, I mean, I know a lot of people are they want to cut the cord, they want to go just all streaming, but it's very hard to do that when you have all these data caps in place. And with Shaw doing this, maybe people will want to go and use their service. Now, Third Stage pointed us to a Facebook posting from Shaw where they clarified that Shaw Movie Club is intended to be watched through your set-top box. You can order your movies online through vod.shaw.ca and send it to your set-top box for viewing. Uh, Watching movies on your set-top box won't affect your included internet data. However, you can also stream your Movie Club movies online to your computer. And they say in this Facebook posting, this will contribute to your internet data. So, so then I, it's more like the U-verse. Right. Uh, then it be, exactly. Hmm. It becomes more of a, of a situation where we're using the same pipes to send everything, but this is for this service and this is for that. Uh, in that case, it is not nearly as, as big of a net neutrality stomp as it was when now they originally just- said it. Now, the question is, did they originally say it wrong? Was it originally reported wrong? Or uh, did they backtrack and say, oh, wait a minute, we we have it got ourselves in some really hot water. It. I mean, because I mean, Michael Geist wrote uh, wrote this up, and you know, some pretty reputable folks uh, wrote this up and uh, misunderstood it from the beginning. So I have a feeling Shaw was not very careful in how they rolled this out, to say the least. They probably thought that, like, look, it's just a feature. We're rolling it out. You get extra stuff, right? And now it, it maybe it just got spun wrong, or uh, we'll see how this actually turns out. All right, let's take a uh, quick break and thank our sponsor, Squarespace.com. Tell you something about bandwidth. It doesn't matter how many people are coming to your site. If you have Squarespace.com, you can handle them. You don't have to go to your web host and pay for extra bandwidth. You don't have to worry that your site's going to just crash, come down crazy. Squarespace is the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. I use it for forecast. I use it for sword and laser. Uh, it just makes it easy to publish, makes it easy to rely on when you have a big 
episode, a big post, uh, whatever you got up there to, to feel safe and secure. And uh, they have online personal help 24 hours a day, seven days a week if you do run into a problem. All-inclusive service means you get modules to build your website, designs to choose from that make it look gorgeous, the ability to go in and tweak it to your heart's desire in the code if you want, or just use their easy modules. Uh, and their and their what you see is what you get way of moving stuff around. So check it out squarespace.com you can try it out absolutely free thanks to the folks at squarespace sign up for a free account no credit card needed uh, and if you decide to purchase it as a tnt listener you get 10 percent off for six months use the offer code tnt7 if you decide to purchase it and your data is totally portable you can bring stuff in from other blog services and just immediately have your blog at the ready in squarespace if you decide to leave someday they let you take the data with you they're not putting in some weird proprietary format you can't take with you when you leave squarespace.com use the offer code tnt7 if you keep it try it out just go start it you'll you'll be on the you'll be on with a new blog in seconds if you go over there right now we appreciate their support of tech news today we also uh, appreciate the review of the TSA airport body scanners here in the United States. D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals in Washington ruled today that the TSA violated federal rules when it installed full body scanners without following proper procedures, but they can keep the scanners. They don't have to get rid of them. And why are we covering this? Because this is a tech story in which way? We've argued this before. Well, let's cover the story first before we just start questioning well, the veracity th- already, of Already, it. it's not a tech story. Uh, judge Douglas Ginsburg uh, said for the three-judge panel, it's clear that by producing an image of the unclothed passenger, a scanner intrudes upon his or her personal privacy in a way a magnetometer does not. Mm-hmm. Ginsburg said he would not order TSA to immediately halt full-body scanning, uh, but he says the TSA violated the Administrative Procedures Act for failing to have a 90-day public comment period. Uh, Electronic Privacy Information Center are the folks that, that brought the suit asking for TSA's body scanning program to be declared unconstitutional. The judges would not do that, but they did say that uh, the court had uh, the court said that they, the TSA does have to go through the proper procedures. They can't just break the rules. Uh, and because this is so invasive, that it would take uh, the, that they should take the 90 days. Now, uh, I as obviously you don't, you don't even think we that the, anybody cares about this story. No, I didn't say that. I said this doesn't belong on this show. This is tech news today, and this the only thing that's tech based on this is that it's the Electronic Privacy Information Center. That's great. And you know what? These scanners also use electricity. That doesn't make it a tech story. Like if I killed somebody with a MacBook. It's not a tech story. I understand this is very annoying, the TSA stuff. Like, as a traveler, I, I find this stuff ridiculous. But uh, I don't see this having a place on our show. Well, I put it in the show because, first of all, it was, it was high up in the Reddit. So, you know, obviously people in our Tech News Today mm-hmm. audience thought it was, it was important. Also, uh, we, we have a lot of IT professionals who travel. Uh, this, this is no different than the laptop scanning at so borders. So there is a speed bump put on a, on a highway, and then IT professionals go over that speed bump, we should cover that, too. All right, folks, well, not, if you... Not to get in the middle of a, of a marital dispute here, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think the one thing that this does raise is just, you know, technology is going to open a lot of doors to a lot of kind of scanning. There was an interesting story this week about um, some law enforcement wanting to use an iPhone attachment um, that uses face detection. And, um, you know, this story may be on the border of tech, but I think, you know, we are going to deal with a lot of these tech versus privacy and safety questions. Um, and this one may be less technical and more societal, but I think there are a lot of questions that uh, we're going to have to answer in the coming years over, you know, what trade-offs are we willing to make uh, 
versus uh, privacy versus security, and I think tech is going to be the enabler of that. Tech is going to allow a lot of things that we as a society are going to have to say, do we want that? Are we comfortable with that? Yeah, and tech, tech and privacy is the story. I mean, it's a body scanner is definitely a, a, something we've covered before in tech news today, and how the backscatter array works and the privacy of it. We, you know, we've covered the TSA from when I was at Buzz Out Loud all the way, you know, through through the year or so we've been doing TNT. So, I thought that it was an appropriate story, but obviously, oh, just because your face is on my the album art, colleague, you think you can put in stories? No, it's it's important stuff. I just I don't think it's a tech story. That's all. All right. Well, if you agree with IS, TNT at twit.tv. If you I'll disagree with I IS, have a feeling TNT we're getting some emails. TNT at twit.tv. <laughs> How dare I speak up to you? Well, now, this is just a Pentagon story. So it obviously belongs on a military podcast, not on a tech podcast. This week military coming up. But I guess 24,000 Pentagon files stolen in a major cyber breach might be interesting to some of you. Deputy Defense Secretary William J. Lynn III disclosed in a briefing today that back in March, uh, 24,000 files were lost to foreign intruders or not lost but they were they were compromised by foreign intruders in what appears to be one of the most damaging cyber attacks to date in the u.s military this is part of announcing a new strategy for cyber war from the defense department so their strategy is to not get hacked well lynn said that's, I think that's a great new strategy yeah lynn said i'm gonna also have a new strategy i'm gonna announce it exclusively here um in the past i've uh, had my wallet stolen uh my new policy rather than calling the credit card company after my wallet gets stolen my new policy is to not have my wallet rather stolen. than so this is lynn speaking uh, rather than rely on the threat of retaliation alone to deter attacks in cyberspace we aim to change our adversaries incentives in a more fundamental way if an attack will not have its intended effect those who wish us harm will have less reason to target us through cyberspace in the first place. Just, yeah, so I mean, it, it, yeah, essentially, I, I, you, you totally hit the nail on the head. You know, they, they're saying instead of bombing people when we get cyber attacks, we're going to close ports. We'll have nowhere to bomb. We're going to stop them from from attacking us in the in the first place. Well, maybe the strategy is just disconnecting Ethernet cables, turning off Wi-Fi networks, and uh, sneaker net will. You know. I think this is an important story. I think it's a, a significant breach. I think it was good for the Pentagon to come out and say, look, you know, we've had another one of these problems. We've had several of these problems. We are, are tightening down. Uh, but the way it was phrased gives me a lack of confidence that they actually really know what the threat is and how to stop it. Well, actually, at, at least at least the deputy defense secretary. Now, I'm not saying that the folks who are actually working in the cybersecurity department of the Pentagon don't know what they're doing, because I think they do. I've met a few of them and they absolutely do. Uh, I just I'm not sure it's clear on the top what the strategy should be. Well, I think this actually ties back to the story we did at the beginning of this show. And actually what they're going to do is uh, DOD at Hotmail.com is changing its password um, from I love cats to I love cats <laughs> one two three four five. So I, I think that should really help. Hopefully that. Well, the that, other thing is like I mean, they, they can't like completely explain their strategy because they don't want to give it away. So possibly this was just a bunch of double speak just to avoid answering a question. Well, what the what the military has done uh, in the past is is really pushed cybersecurity and the and the cyber warfare department. Uh, the Air Force has been involved in this in, in a high level way, and they're trying to get it out there that they're doing something about it, that they know what they're doing, and they want to get hackers to join the military they're trying to make it look cool that's why they're talking about cyber warfare so they're always going out and 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 pumping this up i'm not sure that that the uh, esteemed deputy defense secretary actually had the effect with his speech that maybe he was aiming maybe the at. pentagon is just one giant honeypot 
that's probably what it is. They're like they're just trying to recruit people. They did say it. that the twenty four thousand files were not incredibly damaging. Uh, <laughs> they said it was a significant concern that they were able to get them, uh, but that you know that that it was not high-level stuff that they were worried about. There was there was some, you know, uh, some some military manuals, some avionics uh, stuff that was in there, so it, it wasn't also, you know... And also, in all fairness, nothing uh, either. the Pentagon probably also does a bunch of hacking itself around the world. It's not like it's... Well, they've the said, that, that's right. what they've said. Look, in the past, we've said, if you hack us, we'll hack you. It's retaliatory. Right. Now we're saying, maybe we should actually just make our, our networks secure first. They're not going to get rid of that. Uh, they, they were also very circumspect about you know people saying, hey, is this China that you're talking about? Is it foreign governments? They did seem to assume that most of this stuff is coming from governments. And I think that when you get this advanced persistent threat talk, that's usually code for meaning like high-level hackers that are government-backed. A lot of times it means China. Uh, but there are also a lot of independent agencies, mafias and terrorist organizations that could be doing these attacks as well. Maybe they don't want to cop to that, uh, again, because they don't want to give away their strategy. But that is an important element of this as well. Sony uh, launched the S1 and the S2 this week, and uh, we talked well, about it on Tech News today. They had a today. hands-on press for, uh, conference. They didn't release it. Well, they didn't launch it, but yeah, but they, they, they launched the... Uh, the effort they didn't okay. they didn't release it they didn't yeah they didn't start shipping it but they had they had the big press conference uh and uh ina was there you got you got to do the laying on of hands i did i did get to touch them and hold them but there are a lot of details that they didn't share so these were first mentioned at a press conference in japan in april um and it's been a while and so now what they've done is they've let us touch it and see it um and they've offered up a few more details on these so there's two models there's a one that'll look familiar to anyone who's seen a honeycomb tablet, and then there's the one you see here, uh, which was the S2, which folds out. It's a dual screen device, um, and that's certainly interesting. This one that you're seeing uh, runs on AT&T's network, and there's no Wi-Fi only model. The one that looks like a more traditional tablet is Wi-Fi only. Uh, they haven't said pricing, they haven't offered many of the details, um, but they did talk a little bit about the strategy that they're hoping to use to stand out, which is, you know, not surprisingly, ties to Sony Electronics, ties to their uh, video service and music service. It'll be able to act as a universal remote. Um, so they are trying to make it stand out uh, from the Android pack a little. You know, and I think this is sort of what we're going to see as part of a second wave of tablets. Uh, so not just stock honeycomb, but what can we do to make this a little more interesting, which clearly they need because I think these first wave of Android tablets, especially with the lack of apps that are out there, it's tough to take on the iPad, which you know now has 100,000 apps when the, all the rivals have just a couple hundred or less tablet apps. Yeah, we, uh, we, we covered the story a while back saying that folks were moving away from putting out tablets these days because of the success of the iPad and they were worried about the fact that Android hadn't caught on but it looks like you know we still got some high level stuff here we've got a rumored Amazon tablet now we've got Sony getting into the game in a big way with the S1 and the S2 we'll see how successful these are but don't forget that at this same stage in Android phones lives they were not very successful. It took a couple of years for Android to finally get the momentum to become as dominant as they are today. So what Sony's doing, I find very interesting. They're, they're trying to redefine the form factor a bit. That double screen thing, it, I, I think, is very intriguing. If they're going to run two apps at once, or you're going to have one large app that scales on both, and they're trying to, they have a contest with Adobe so they can actually get more applications made for it. Even the S1 has a different shape because apparently the way tablets are held might not even be correct. So I'm like, it's still so, so early in the in, in this in this new generation 
generation of tablets that it's interesting to see all these attempts at it and because like when the g1 came out the android phones all the form factors had to figure out a way to become the default form factor which is now what a 4.3 inch touchscreen that's like the default <laughs> size of an android device and now that sony's trying their own things maybe we'll see some more crazy form factors i like this idea and I think that is what makes Android interesting, is that you do get to see some of that experimentation. I mean, with Apple, they're going to go for whatever uh, the most universal cool form factor is. With Android, you've got a lot of people, and you have to try and stand out from the pack, um, which does lead to some interesting uh, experimentation and customization. You know, I think we're finally starting to see what interesting customization on the phone can look like. That means something like the Xperia Play for gamers. It means something like the new uh, HTC Status, the Facebook phone uh, that's coming to AT&T. And I think we're going to see that eventually with tablets as well. And I think, you know, Sony brings some interesting assets. I think the one that really brings interesting assets is Amazon. I mean, they have a music service, an app store. They have a lot of things, and they're they're a Google partner, but they're also a Google competitor. So that's I'm really interested to see what they're working. You know, it's weird of all the Sony stuff we've talked about. We haven't really talked about the fact that Sony has a bunch of media and, and Curiosity and PSN. They can have you can have a lot of access to media on a Sony device. They have eBooks. They have a lot of things that Amazon also has. So I mean, their tablet offerings may not be just to be you know they might not be looked over they might actually be really important because they have their own ecosystem already that's true of microsoft as well and the difference between microsoft sony and amazon is that amazon has it in a nice tidy package mm -hmm. it's one all click. one company it's all one website <laughs> it's all one easy to access organized way and what microsoft f fights with is like well we've got zune pass but then we also have some music on the xbox and then we also have it on this platform and sony's got the same issue which is well we have curiosity but that's a separate division from the PS3, mm -hmm. which is a separate division from the phones, which is actually a partnership with Ericsson. So it's, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. They've got all of these pieces, but it's so much harder for them because they're so huge to bring them together and put them on the tablet. I'm sure there's there's parts of Sony that are resisting any kind of integration with the tablet. Sony Pictures, for instance, because of the same reasons they're resisting licensing to Netflix or anything else because they are just selfish and they don't get anything out of it if, if Sony Electronics does well, they're Sony Pictures. Well, Sony has a really bad track record of being able to pull together these assets. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, writing stories 10 years ago when the iPad, uh, the iPod, sorry, uh, 10 years ago when the iPod was debuting, you know, this idea that Sony was really the company in the best position to take them on because they had the music and the electronics background, and those two did more fighting. Now, I will say, uh, Sony did talk about the integration of Curiosity and their entertainment assets as one of the big strengths uh, that they were going to bring to the tablet. Um, you know, how much of that is talk and how much is reality, I think we'll have to see. Uh, these are due out uh, the fall, the holidays, somewhere in there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Amazon clearly built its app store, built its music service to work with its devices, whereas uh, with Sony, they're building these things and they have devices and they have entertainment, but they're not always built specifically for one another. That leads us to the next story, which is you want to talk about trying to figure out how to integrate something. Microsoft has apparently registered Sony-Microsoft.com and Microsoft-Sony.com. Uh, this has been found out by a, uh, by a blog uh, doing a little digging in there. Rumors are everywhere now that uh, Sony Windows Phone 7 device, like a Sony Ericsson Windows Phone 7 device, could come out. Although that's Sony Ericsson, so it would have to be Microsoft 
Microsoft-Sony-Ericsson, if that were true. Uh, could be just Sony computers running Windows, which they do already happens. And Gadget points out this URL is a bit noteworthy because Microsoft doesn't own other partner combos. They don't They don't own an HP Microsoft. They don't own an LG Microsoft. Uh, it could be something as just a, a joint marketing campaign for laptops, but, but Ina, do you got any theories on, on why they would register this domain? You know, uh, sometimes they want to avoid somebody else having it. Sometimes it's a promotion. You know, I think it's really easy to want to jump to, oh my God, there's something really exciting. I saw some tweets, uh, you know, and I even asked my Twitter followers, like, what do you think it could be? And, you know, folks saying, well, wouldn't it be great if you could, you know, cross game from Sony Game Station, you know, PlayStation to Xbox? And, you know, that would be ps3xbox.com. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, that's the thing. I, I would be less surprised to hear nothing come of this than I would to hear that this was actually something. Um, you know, could it be something interesting? Possibly. Um, for what it's worth, the head of Microsoft's PR said, you know, nothing to see here. This was purely a defensive play. Um, you know, obviously they might not want to say what they were doing if they were doing something. Uh, but I, I would think this is one of those where uh, the rumors are way better than whatever the reality is. I got. I have a small theory on this one. Like right. they, have, they have a URL buying division at Microsoft probably, and they have a limited budget per year. And if they don't use up all their money, they don't get that same budget the next year. So they said, buy all the domains. And they're like, Sony-Microsoft, Microsoft-Sony. Okay, good, good. We finally got those, and now we get the same budget next year. And yeah. they already had Tulalip and SOCL. Exactly. So, yeah. These ridiculous <laughs> What else are they going to buy? Uh, I have a feeling it is something like that, that it is a very small possibility, and somebody said, you know what, you, know, you, better, you better pick up that, that URL. Uh, and maybe if we keep an eye out, they, maybe we'll start to see a trend in this kind of Microsoft-something URL that could explain it. On the other hand, maybe they're going to merge. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Sony Soft. Yeah, Sony. Soft. And they'll just be called Sony Microsoft, Microsoft Sony. Yeah, that that Microny. Maybe Sony's <laughs> gonna buy Microsoft, and Microsoft was just like, well, let's just buy the URL. We know it's gonna happen. I honestly, don't think those last two are gonna uh, happen. I think it is just somebody registering domain names just to register domain names. It happens at companies. It's, uh, happened at, at CNET. We used to just register. In fact, in the early days of CNET, before I worked there, they actually assigned. Uh, a guy to just go and buy as many, uh, register as many URLs as possible. That's why CNET owns radio.com and kids.com and news.com. Yeah, just, if I recall, the, the lore of the company lore was that we own coffee.com and that's why we always had Pete's Coffee for uh, free for like the first six or seven years I was there. Yeah, they made a deal they, they, they to sell coffee.com. They required them to give us coffee. So maybe Microsoft wants free Sony stuff. <laughs> Could be. Bring it all Good back. Call. All right, let's move on to the news fuse. Google just upgraded its app market Android app, so that means dig into the resources and find clues. Androidandme.com reports that there are some graphics that suggest that Google may be offering a way to buy music, uh, not just upload it to the cloud. It's the timing of the whole thing that has everybody excited. Google launched Google Music in May, so perhaps they've set up some deals with the record labels finally. In more code digging news, uh, checking the code of Google Plus actually yielded the Google Games logo graphic, not just an obtuse reference, but the actual graphic itself which is the it's google stunning. graphic with wow. the word Whoa. games after there's it. there's no way i mean that took hours of time to make that that's exactly how google does things yeah, that's the but thing that's they registered google-games.com 
We have. I think Microsoft did that. No. To who is? <laughs> the LTE standard means that cell phones uh, have to have SIM cards, which brought hopes that you could buy one phone and just switch carriers by switching cards. Uh, forget that. It turns out that AT&T and Verizon use different frequencies for their LTE implementations, and even if a phone could handle both, the carriers can lock out those phones. So what about roaming? Well, PC Mag asked AT&T executives, and they didn't know if their phones could roam on Verizon's frequencies. Bummer. GoogleGames.com is registered to anti-fraud solutions. Which is owned by? I don't know. Got to do some more. more. (laughs) British gadget site Pocket Lint had an interesting conversation with Danny Kay, not the actor, but the executive VP of Global Research and Technology Strategy for Fox, about the future of Ultraviolet. Some quick background. Ultraviolet's the name for a digital file of a movie or other content that would be available in the cloud. It's their way of saying, hey, we'll have DRM, but you won't ever feel it. It'll be available everywhere. Has the backing of Fox, Warner Brothers, Universal, and Samsung. Uh, Now, Kay suggested that Ultraviolet hold out Apple and Disney would eventually adopt the ultraviolet format, which could mean a unified cloud video standard. Yeah, that'll if, if they can convince him. They can convince Steve Jobs. Groupon's currently being investigated by the Connecticut Attorney General. His name is George Jepson, not Jetson, like when I read it, for yeah, state George violations. Jepson. It's, it isn't clear, but uh, Groupon may technically be selling gift certificates. In Connecticut, gift certificates being sold cannot have an expiration date. The problem is that Groupon's coupons have expiration dates. So Groupon has until the 5th of August to reply. Why are we reading that story? That's just a gift certificate story. Because Groupon <laughs> is online. They have a website. So that must... They use electronics. But doesn't every company have a website? No. Pretty much? No. Not every company. Hey, folks. <laughs> okay. Look. The Amish companies. Oh, electric cops. They're going to become part of the New York City police force. Awesome. Wait, uh, that's not right. Uh, this is about electric cars. New York City has added 70 electric vehicles to its city-owned vehicles, which includes 50 Chevy Volts that will be police vehicles. The move is part of Mayor Bloomberg's environmental program. Currently, there's an ongoing legal battle between Oracle and Google over Java patents. Particularly, Oracle thinks Google's Android OS, not OOS, OS, infringes on Oracle's patents. Lawyers for Oracle are looking to get some information from a number of current and former Google employees. They're asking to depose Bob Lee, who worked on Android while at Google. Lee has since left Google and is the current CTO of Square. The attorneys would also like to get some guy named Larry Page, because Page gave Google the go-ahead to buy Android way back in 2005. Never heard of him. Apple's iOS devices use Apple's A5 chips, but were manufactured by Samsung. If you've been paying attention lately, Samsung and Apple are not really happy with each other. They're currently engaged in about 3,000 lawsuits or so. Apple's looking at Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing to be its partner. And today, Reuters reports that Taiwan Semiconductor is already producing the next generation processor for Apple, the A6, on a trial basis. The partnership depends on whether the company can yield enough chips, according to an analyst, it's no small feat for Apple to move from Samsung because the move requires a redesigned chipset. This just in, I'm getting in my headphones here. A preliminary ITC ruling in, in Apple versus HTC rules HTC violated two Apple patents. HTC has issued a statement from Grace Lee, uh, general counsel of HTC Corporation. You know, you, you actually let us know about this before showtime. What's the scoop? So, um, you know, this is one of the many battles going on over whether Android and Android phones infringe on someone's IP. Microsoft suing, uh, Oracle's suing, as you mentioned, and uh, Apple is suing. In this case, Apple's suing HTC. Uh, they are suing in a variety of venues, but one of those is the International Trade Commission. That venue is important because they're the ones that can ban imports into the country. Uh, they alleged that Apple was, uh, Apple alleged that HTC was violating 10 of its patents in a preliminary ruling 
today the ITC said that uh, HTC is infringing on two of them. Um, you know, the challenge here is, of course, that even if you're infringing on one, that could be a bad thing. Uh, HTC is, of course, vowed to fight on. Um, you know, but there's a lot of legal issues uh, tied up right now in who in the mobile industry has the patents. And, you know, eventually we'll probably get a licensing scheme where this is all settled. But right now there's a million battles and uh, this one's heating up. Uh, do we know where it goes from there after the ITC rules? Where, where can they take it? So this was an uh, initial ruling from the ITC. They can appeal it sort of higher up within the ITC. Okay. The ITC is this weird body that um, it's a U.S. agency, which is kind of funny since it's the International Trade Commission. Um, but what it has the power to do is to ban products uh, that are found infringing from coming into the U.S. So uh, it's pretty important. Um, you know, this is one of those venues that uh, – sort of really matter because that's, you know, if they issue an injunction stopping products from coming in, that's obviously uh, makes it tough to sell them. All right. Uh, on to the randomizer. Randomizer. Mashable has a story today about a QR code on a gravestone in Haifa, Israel. Scanning the QR code leads visitors to a tribute website uh, that was set up by Yoav Medan's mother, or actually by Yoav Medan for his mother, Judith, who is buried in the website. Uh, Medan set up and plans to evolve with stories and photos from his mother's life. He says, I didn't know what we wanted to write on the tombstone and it will never be everything for everyone by having something that is dynamic and it can extend over time we can capture it so you scan the qr code when you're at the gravesite. you get something a little different you can even get something personalized it's kind of cool it's an interesting idea uh but like obviously you need somebody who's still alive to keep using this thing to change what's on the qr code but is this something that's going to get antiquated really fast you see this thing you're like what was that what's this scribble because i mean microsoft has tried some of these things they've tried their own version of qr codes and there have been barcodes and other things like is this is going to be in 10 years like what does that mean I don't know. Maybe so, it's so uh, somebody in the, in the B Woogie said, "Re-explain, please." You walk up to the gravestone. There's, there's a, QR a QR code. code. You scan it. It launches a website. The website will be an ever-evolving tribute uh, to to Judith, uh, Yoav Madan's mother, who's buried in the in the gravestone. Ina, do you, do you do you agree? You think this is sort of like a passing fancy, uh, something that that won't last as long as we we like to think that memorials like this will last. Yeah, I mean, I think tribute sites are really interesting um, and, you know, potentially putting it on, on the grave marker. I, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I will say, though, that it would seem to be one of the things that needs to evolve the least. Uh, I mean, whatever needs to be said can certainly, it would seem, be said in the in the coming weeks and months. And, and you know, death is one of those things that's kind of final. It doesn't seem like, you know, a whole lot new is going to come up. But, you know, whatever, more power to them. Uh, it's uh, better than the QR code wedding cake that I saw not too long ago uh, when I was doing some research. <laughs> that one was. I mean, not the wedding, the cake. Really <laughs> <laughs> just printed on the fondant. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the calendar. Apple just released iOS 4.3.4, which means no more jailbreaking via that PDF exploit for about a day or two, because that's going to get cracked. Starting today, you can get a Sprint Nexus S4G for $99, as long as you get a two-year contract with that. That's a good deal. It was this day five years ago that Twitter 
open to the public. So happy other birthday to you How many birthdays do they get? 14 a year is what I'm reading here. AT&T iPhones will be eligible for standard phone insurance, which is much cheaper than that special iPhone insurance they, they had before beginning this Sunday. Also on Sunday, iRiver launches its Story HD, the first Google-integrated e-reader. And coming up on Monday... You can get more PC gaming streamed to you because that's when Happy Cloud officially launches. So hooray for Happy Cloud. Hooray for Happy Cloud. On to the voicemails. Uh, we got a video voicemail, which I guess just makes it a video mail, uh, that Wesley uploaded to YouTube with his thoughts on Netflix. Hi, guys. Wesley, the user experience engineer here in San Francisco. Uh, one thing I want to bring to light is that a lot of people with Netflix have been subsidizing the cost of the service. A lot of people had their instant queues and then they also had their DVD queues and they never used their DVDs, which basically they were subsidizing the cost for people like me that use DVDs a lot. I'm thinking that the cost of the DVD service will actually end up going up because Netflix has brought the light that a lot of people do not use their DVDs and that they'll end up canceling that part of the service. Thanks. What do you think, Ayaz? The self-subsidization of costs thing? I mean, will DVDs get more expensive? Well, they would have to, if you think about it. I mean, if postage goes up, then you have to pay for that. But, I mean, this again, this, this whole Netflix thing has gotten a lot of people riled up in general. And I think in the long run, people are not going to even remember the whole DVD thing. It's just going to be streaming all the time anyway. Were, were you upset about this, uh, Ina? The, the fact that they, they raised the prices on everybody? Kind of doubled the price at a moment's notice, 60% raise? You know, I'm one of those people that's trying to figure out if I want to subscribe, what I'm subscribing to. I just recently joined Netflix, uh, and you know, I've been playing around a little with the streaming. I still haven't set up my DVD queue, so right now I'm subsidizing uh, both halves, since I'm not really using either. Um, at least to the potential that I should be, you know, I think by splitting out the costs, it, they're certainly, you know, laying the groundwork to have those two services uh, more evened out based on what those costs are. You know, I think they're really hitting two different demographics. My parents are unlikely to sign up for a streaming movie service anytime soon. Uh, probably when it comes down to it, I'm probably not going to subscribe to the DVD part of the service. But I do think over time the DVD service, you know, goes away, but it's a long time. I mean, there's a lot of people that are going to be using DVDs for a while. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it makes sense. I don't think uh, the idea that the DVD part is going to get rapidly more expensive is necessarily true. I mean, basically, they've just hiked the fees of the service considerably. So at least uh, I would hope that covers the cost for a while now. All right, let's move on to our next voicemail. 260-TNT Show is the place you can call to leave a voicemail like this person did on the possibility of a tech bubble. Hey guys, this is Fred from Nazareth in Pennsylvania. I would just like to say, tech bubble? Well, maybe. LinkedIn today, it has a price-to-earnings ratio of 1,200, which is insane. And their earnings call will be August 4th. So we'll see if the bubble pops on August 4th, while the rest of our government is about to default on its credit. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Bye-bye. He kind of throws in a political under the bus there at the end yeah, like, uh, take that US I don't government. think the tech bubble is going to burst when LinkedIn goes public necessarily uh, but it, it did bring up the, the point of uh, having a very Im important political event happening in August right Ina? Yes um, absolutely I mean this whole this whole Netflix price hike oh oh wait you meant the uh, the, uh, the US potentially <laughs> defaulting on the debt one of my favorite tweets uh, from the week was uh, somebody commenting on how uh, there's a lot of attention on the fact Netflix is hiking its prices and very little on the fact that our government may default on its debt. Um, yeah, I, I'd probably reverse the order of priority of those two, but hey, that's me. 
All right, let's uh, finish up with an email to TNT at twit.tv. Matt wrote in, took up the challenge and said, hey, you know what? I've got, I've got uh, an opposing viewpoint on what, what Tom, me, has been saying uh, about the AT&T position on bandwidth caps and all of that. Matt says, the way you represented bandwidth in episode 284 was misleading. Networks do have a maximum finite capacity of bandwidth per unit time, and if you exceed it, packets get dropped. This is why ISPs throttle during peak usage times. If you take the capacity per unit time and multiply it by a month, you end up with the supposedly mythical bucket capacity. Sure, ISPs don't say how large this communal bucket actually is, and like to work with average values in the name of fairness, which is totally unrealistic. But that doesn't mean bandwidth is an unlimited resource. It's not. Saying otherwise just confuses the issue. I'm a big fan of the show and listen to it in my morning commute literally every day. Thanks for keeping me in. And he says all kinds of nice things to make us feel better about the fact that he just criticized us. But it is a good clarification. So uh, a lot of people sent me this kind of criticism over Twitter, Google Plus, and other places. And Matt's right. Bandwidth is not unlimited. I was very careful not to say that bandwidth is unlimited. What I said was bandwidth is plentiful, that there is a lot more than they would like you to think, and that it's not a bucket that gets used up over time. It is, in fact, a capacity per time unit. So if you have 250 gigabytes of bandwidth over a month, that's the wrong way to represent it. You don't have a bucket of 250 gigabytes that you can keep using. And you could use 250 gigabytes in a minute, or you could use two slowly over the month, but there's still only 250 gigabytes. That's my point. There is probably a limit, a capacity, that can be sliced and diced up to the different people, depending on whether it's cable or DSL. You're going to get a certain segment of that that's either shared or not uh, that you can use at any given moment. And yes, if you use a lot of it at a given moment, and everybody's using a lot of it, then you get what's called a denial of service, right? Because there just isn't enough room in the pipes. That's absolutely true, and I appreciate Matt having the clarification. But that's not what they're doing with these gigabyte caps. With the with these bandwidth caps, they're saying, well, they're not talking about speed. They're not talking about your effective bandwidth capacity at any given time unit. They're talking about, oh, you only have this many gigabytes for the month. And that's just, that's just crap. Uh, it, it, that that is much more misleading than what I did. But I think uh, thanks, Matt, for the uh, for the clarification. I appreciate that. All right, uh, quickly, I uh, want to thank New Tech, who has given us a new TriCaster for the new studio. We'll be using the TriCaster 850, which is like having our own giant television truck in a little box. Uh, we'll use the TriCaster for, you know, we're going to have how many uh, inputs now? Like, like 40. We we triple our inputs. Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's ridiculous. I think it's yeah, it's got to be somewhere around twelve video inputs and then a bunch of other virtuals. So it may it makes switching a whole lot easier. Awesome. It's going to be HD. It's going to look great. Uh, Jason's job will be a little bit easier at least. <laughs> it will be uh, absolutely. If you'd like to find out more about the TriCaster, if you're interested in this sort of thing, visit NewTech.com. That's N-E-W-T-E-K.com. We thank him for their support. Also, thanks to everybody in the Reddit. Now we did a little experiment today. Uh, and we used Reddit as the leader of what we put in the show. Usually what we do is we pick the stories for the show and then kind of use Reddit as a double check to see if there's anything we're missing or maybe if something should be a little higher up in the order than it is. Today, we did it the opposite way. I used Reddit as the leader and then I looked to see if there was anything Reddit was missing. Uh, so I want to send a shout out to T-Mark who had our top story, Microsoft Tulalip, uh, Tualip, 
Uh, Flash Cider had the Hotmail story. Devocan and SA Jewers had the Shaw story. Portech had the TSA story. So Portech, <laughs> you can you can email uh, IS about that. Uh, Portech and White Hat TX had the Pentagon twenty four thousand files stolen story. We put in the Sony S one and S two because we had Ena on and she'd been there at the event. And we also put in the uh, Sony Microsoft.com story because we just thought that was really interesting. In the news views, Technogasm, enjoy what you have. Eighty four, HR Himes, Captain Kipper, and Portech all submitted stories, and we threw a couple of our own stories in there. And uh, thanks to Captain Kipper for the randomizer and Portech for one of the calendar items. If you would like to affect our show, technewstoday.reddit.com is our subreddit where you can submit stories and vote things up or down. And if you uh, thought the story selection seemed a little different and you want to share our thoughts with us, TNT at twit.tv. Also, don't forget bricks for the new studio. We only got five more TNTs. Yeah. Four more TNTs in the old studio, one at Comic-Con, and then we're in the new studio. That's going to be awesome. So buy buy a a brick. Bricks.twit.tv. Ina, thanks so much uh, for being on the show. It's always great to have you. Let folks know about what's going on over there at All Things D. Well, you know, we've got our big D Asia conference, so come to Hong Kong and visit us. Or uh, if a trip to Hong Kong isn't in the budget, you know, we're always at allthingsd.com. It's free. Uh, Lots of fun, you know, smart take on the tech news. Excellent. Allthingsd.com. And thanks to you all for watching. Twit.tv slash TNT is where you can find our show. 260-TNT-SHOW is our phone number. And TNT at twit.tv is the email address. We will see you Monday. Bye-bye.